You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So last week we talked about the table being a place of redemption where we're called to share uh, the truth and preserve the truth as salt and light, right? So you talk to, say to your neighbor, be salt and light. So the table is a place where we know that we're powerless and hopeless without God and so therefore in our brokenness we need his love and grace and that we're called to extend that love and grace, Right? That we want people to come, people who are broken, people who we can say, you know what, I need God, do you need God? Let's, let's, let's approach God, let's approach the cross together, right? And um, so today we'll be talking about the table of faith, the table of faith, and what that means for us in terms of reaching out, but also what it means for those who are already sitting at the table. So I got the text from Habakkuk, which if you say it in Korean means pumpkin soup, but this is... <clears throat> But this is a great little book in Scripture that really gives a great definition to what faith is and how one who is faithful ought to respond to the difficulties in life. You guys, you guys still cracking up right now? <laughs> Hobakuk? All right. Sorry. Sorry. All right. So here's a little background of the text. Habakkuk is a prophet, and that's pretty much all we know. There's little else known about, this, about his personal life beyond that. But what we do know is that he wrote Habakkuk, right? And in his writing, Habakkuk, he, this, is, this is what it's about. He cries out to God, right? Or maybe I should say he complains to God how long God will wait until he brings judgment upon the sins of Judah. Lord, discipline your children. Lord, bring judgment upon your people. We need to get right. These people need to get right. And God says that I'm going to bring Babylonians to bring judgment upon my people of Judah. And then Habakkuk's like, what? Why? No, that's not what I'm saying, God. Don't bring the Babylonians. How can you bring an even more wicked nation to judge the wickedness of Judah? God, that doesn't make sense. God then responds by saying, hey, chill out. Right? Chill out. I'm going to bring judgment on Babylon as well in due time. But this is what I'm doing. Now, that was the gist of the conversation, but how does that even apply to us? Because I think we all believe that we're all going through certain tribulations and trials in our, of our lives. These trials in our lives may not be necessarily life and death issues, but there's certainly crossroads that we all face, relationship issues, struggles in our finances, perhaps even health issues and things like that. Ultimately, Habakkuk's struggle is similar to ours in that through his trials, he eventually came to model for us how to properly question God even when we don't understand what's happening around us. So he does that in faith. He does it actually in faithful humility. And in that faithful humility, he ensures that he is open to receive God's corrections. Let me tell you this. When you, ask, when you pray to God and you say, Lord, would you speak to me? Do you say, Lord, speak to me in a very specific, particular way and answer me in a very specific, particular way? Don't we often do that? When we pray to God and you don't like the answer that you receive, what do you do? We struggle with that. 
When you say, God, this is my prayer request. This is what's on my heart. This is what I'm struggling with. And God, he answers you, but he doesn't give you the answer that you want. What do you do? How do you respond? You apply for the college of your dreams, but they reject you. Or you interview for a job, but they found someone a little bit more qualified. Or you ask God for healing, but the doctor says, man, that medication's not working, or chemo isn't working. Or you pray to find the husband or the wife after all these years, and after all this time, he or she has yet to find you, or you have yet to find them. Or what about marriage? You've been working at it, working at it, working at it to keep it alive, but it only ends up in divorce or separation. Or that time you put all your money in that one investment or in that new business only to see that within a year it fails. Or you move across the country for that new job, new location, to see those new people, to have a new life, but nothing works out. Now you're unemployed, and it's just eating up your savings. You have no community, no family there, no backup. Or maybe you're planning on having kids or having more kids, but it's just not happening for some reason. And you're thinking, why, God, is this happening? Why? Look, we've all been there. And most of the times it's simply because that's just how life is. We have these dreams. We have these plans. And we're sincerely asking God to lead us and to instruct us in this. And so we pray to him, and when the answer comes, it's not what we wanted, and we just kind of crumble. What do you do? You know, guys, I've noticed that my plans and God's plans are rarely the same. I've noticed in my life. Because I'm always praying in a way that looks for a yes rather than a no. In other words, I'm always praying for my will to be done rather than God's will to be done. You guys ever pray that way? That was like Habakkuk. He didn't like the answer he received, and so he first thought that God was ignoring the sins of Judah. God, how could you do that? But then he thought that God would and should never use a nation like the Babylonians. Oh, those infidels, those savages, those warriors, those wicked people. God should never use a nation like that, a means like them to judge Judah. Well, he was wrong on both times, both accounts. And so we come to God in our prayers And with our own set of expectations, or maybe I should say our demands. And so we fast and we pray and we torment ourselves only to receive an answer that's the opposite of what we thought we should have gotten. And that's what Habakkuk had a problem with. He just couldn't reconcile his view of God with the injustice he saw all around him. In fact, there was a Barna study, a Barna survey. The one question that most Americans asked if they could ask God one question was this. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? And that question, it makes sense. Because we wonder, where did it come from? And why does God allow it? C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, the problem of suffering is really atheism's only uh, weapon against, or I should say, the greatest weapon against Christian faith. So we ask questions of why. Why were Christians massacred by the terrorists or the extremists? Why, why did a tornado skip that, that empty field and instead redirect its course through the city that's populated, killing and wreaking havoc among many? Why was that little girl kidnapped but that one escaped? Why would God allow a child to be born with disabilities? Why, 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 why? The list of questions, they just go on. And so in this book, we have this prophet who wrestled with God about the hard questions of life. And as much as Habakkuk wished God would 
judge Judah in his own gracious and merciful way. You know, for us, uh, the way I treat my daughter and the way I treat my dog are completely different. Yeah, that makes sense, obviously, right? Like if Ada does something bad, I'll say, I'm going to have to hit you, right? And then this is, of course, after asking her repeatedly not to do it or, not, or to drop or whatever, and I'll give her a little spank or something like that. But my dog, Stevie, the moment that he does something wrong, I'm just like, boom, and I punt him across the living room. Not really. Is this being recorded? Okay. <laughs> and so he thinks, God, like, come on, with kitty gloves, Judah, just kind of smack him on the rear and then, or on the wrist and just make sure that they stop their sinning and bring them back to you, Lord. And he wished God would do that. But God says, mm-mm, the Babylonians are coming and you can't stop them. They're going to reach Jerusalem. They're going to destroy it. And I'll be using them to judge Judah for their sins. So when Habakkuk heard this, he objected. And he says, how can you do this, God? And that's the question of all questions, isn't it? Because this story is not really about Judah and her sins. The story isn't about the issue of Babylon and its wickedness. The story isn't about the doubts of Habakkuk. The story is about God and who he is. And the quicker you get to that understanding, the quicker you understand what your life is about and what God aims to do with you. So we can try to put God on the hot seat and ask him a million questions of why that guy did that to me or why she did that to that person or why did this turn out the way that way and so on and so forth. And eventually, we're all going to end up here to God because all our questions lead back to him and because he's ultimately the one whom we have to deal with at the end of the day. All the small, side, relational, health-related, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual issues all eventually converge and lead us back to the one who sits on the throne of the universe. That's why whenever someone comes to you looking for advice because of some problem or issue they've got in their lives, before we go ahead and give them godly counsel, let's ask them if they had gone to God first. Friends, brothers and sisters, I want to say this. Stay away from that one person, that friend who says, well, I would do this. And instead, if you got a friend who says, well, let's go and ask God. Embrace that friend. Love, I'm going to say don't love the other one either, but embrace that friend. There was a uh, particular televangelist woman not going to say her name. She, um, she claims she's a Christian. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. And she's a pastor of a mega church, and she speaks around the world. She's super-duper famous, and people love her. <clears throat> well, in one of her books, now, by the way, I'll casually read up on some of these type of books just so that I know what not to say. And usually by the end of the chapter, if I'm feeling disgusted and that I need a shower, then I know I'm doing something right. Well, the first chapter of her book, it's about living without worrying, okay? But in that chapter, she says this, uh, this is, and I quote, that earning a living is our responsibility, that earning a living is our responsibility, and we don't need to involve God in this, end quote. 
This is a Christian pastor, an influential figure who has millions of people listening to her every word through podcasts, through web videos, and all that stuff. She writes in her bestseller book that earning a living is a human responsibility and that we don't need to involve God in this. We don't need to ask God for his instructions. We don't need to pray about it. We don't need to look into scripture for his truth, for discernment and wisdom, how to go about this. Don't go to God for the little things. Forget God about the mundane things. Don't worry about looking scripture for truth or anything like that for the everyday things. Don't. Just don't because God, he doesn't care. It doesn't apply to him. Just you figure it out. You figure it out. It's your responsibility. God out of the picture. Don't concern him. So I'm not sure what she would make of Luke 16.10 when Jesus tells us of the parable that God is actually concerned with how responsible we are with the little things. Or how about Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 when Apostle Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. In everything. Pray. He says with all kinds of prayers. With all kinds of requests. Brothers and sisters, in the littlest things to the big things, do you lift it up to the Lord? You must. You must. And as a friend, when someone comes to us for even the smallest of issues, whether it's relational or whatever it might be, our first response is this, did you go to God first? Did you go to God first? Amen? Amen? So Habakkuk asks a few questions that I think we need to be aware of, and this is the first one. He says, who are you? God, who are you? In verse 12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So what happens when it seems that God doesn't seem to make any sense to us? Well, you have two choices when you're confused and God's not answering the way that you want him to answer or you're confused about what's going on in your life in this world. You have one or two choices. First, you can either walk away from your faith and say, good riddance, this is too much for me. I I don't get it. I don't understand it. So I'm going to go ahead and just disregard everything else I've ever learned about my faith. Or you can remind yourself of who God is. That's why theology is not just for pastors or uptight Christian people. It's for everyone. Turn to your neighbor and say, theology is for you. Because a good theology, it strengthens our shaky faith. You see, when Habakkuk found out that the Babylonians, this enormous force was going to come and bring devastation upon his people, when, they knew, when he knew that they were going to invade his homeland, look what he says in his prayers. He calls God everlasting. He calls God Lord. He calls God God. He calls God holy, and he calls him rock. He calls him everlasting in that he knows that. He says, God, there is no beginning, and there is no end to you. You, We are measured by time, but Lord, you are timeless. You have always been, will, and forever continue to reign. That's who you are, God. You're everlasting. But he also says, you're Lord, and that you're personal. You're not some distant God who created us and said, all right, now you man should live the rest of your lives in peace and try to love each other. No, God says, I'm in your life. I want to preside over your life. I want to rule over your life. I want to lead your life. He is the Lord. But he also says, God, you're God, and that he is strong, that he is creator, that he is the ruler of all, and there's none before him. But he also says, God, you are also holy, and that God, he's in a class all by himself, completely perfect, completely right, completely just, without sin, set apart, God could do no wrong. And lastly, he says, 
God, you are the rock. That's, that means I'm shaking in my boots because of all the calamity, all the tragedies, all the issues, and that army that's coming, I am scared, but God, you are my rock. You are my refuge. You are my stronghold. You are my sanctuary. Lord, the world may shake, and I am shaking, but God, you will never shake. You will never shake because you are my foundation. You are my refuge, my stronghold. You are my rock. In the midst of your difficulties and the worries of your life, can you cry out to God that you are everlasting, that you are Lord, that you are God, that you are holy, and that you are the rock. You see, when we face difficulty, it's not that we question if we believe in God, but rather we question what sort of God we believe in. Does that make sense? It's not that you question if you believe in God, you're questioning what kind of God you believe in. So if you don't regularly delve into scripture, then that means, get this, listen to me well. If you don't regularly immerse yourself in the knowledge of who God is, that means your circumstances will shape your understanding of who God is rather than allowing God to shape your understanding of your circumstances. Does that make sense? Let me, let me give you an example. I remember counseling a youth girl a while back, and she hated God. Man, she, 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 she was good at faking, too. I hear she, like, raised her hand whenever her friends raised her hands, their hands, and whenever they sat down to pray, she would sit down and pray. She did the whole song and dance and all that stuff. But one day, I just sat with her, and I was talking with her, and I said, you know, so how are you doing with God? And she said, I hate him. I was like, wow, okay, I thought you were a Christian. Um, but... You don't have, she said, no, I don't have a relationship with him, and I don't, and I, I don't want anything to do with him, and I hate God. And I found out, and I said, why? And I found out, and I realized that she hated her father. Like, she really hated her father. Her father was scum. He abused her uh, verbally, emotionally, physically, and he not only that, he, he treated her sister wrong, he treated her mother poorly as well, and just there's, he's just a deadbeat, and he would be distant, and he would be callous towards her. And so she's thinking, why in the world should I ever want to worship and submit under God the Father? God's a tyrant. I don't want, I don't want, to, I don't want to love him. And so I told her, that's not who God is. And so like many people, because we don't actually go to the source of his truth, we end up categorizing God through a secondhand definition, through experiences, through what other people say, rather than what God has to say to us. And then we begin to question his character and who he says he is. If we question God's eternality, then we forever question his authority. If we question God's lordship, then we question his love for us. If we question his godship, then we question his truth. If we question his holiness, then we'll forever question his justice and fairness. If we question God as a rock, then we'll question his faithfulness and goodness. You see, people, faith is a choice that we do have to make. But that faith becomes trust as you draw near to God through his word. It becomes trust as you draw near to God through prayer. It becomes trust. It becomes a sure knowledge, understanding of who he is as you draw to him through community. Are you walking with God daily right now? Are you walking with him daily? 
Are you reaching out to others and experiencing God together? Look, there are many unknowable things in this world. Many things are mysterious and without answers, but if there's no God, then nothing at all makes sense. And if you, if, if you, if you envy my confidence, it's only because my faith was given to me by God. And so we must first ask for it. Have you asked God for faith in your prayers? In your times of doubt and concern, have you actually sat down or kneeled before God and said, God, give me faith. Give me more faith. I doubt and I'm not 100% and I'm shaky and, and I'm faltering in terms of my identity in you and my purpose. God, give me faith to trust. Give me faith to believe. Are you praying for that? Pray for that. But also are we active as we pursue him through the means available to us by his grace? God says, I have given myself, I've extended myself to you through prayer, through community, through church, through fasting, through fellowship, through Bible reading, so much more. That faith turns to trust in that God is good and holy and just and that he knows all things and that he loves me. You see, People who grow in faith grow to trust that God is who he says he is, that his promises are a reality. For us, for some people who doubt him and are unsure and are still growing in their relationship with him, they still question God because they don't know God yet. But that also leads us to our second question, how can God do this? Verse 13 you who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked w swallows up the man more righteous than he? See, this is the heart of the problem. Why is it that some people seem to get it worse than others? Have you ever thought that? Habakkuk's dilemma was this. If God cannot tolerate wrongdoing, which is true, then how could he use the Babylonians who were even more of wrongdoers to judge the wrongdoings of Judah? Isn't that a contradiction? And of course the answer is no. And I think we need to catch the way that we would even phrase that thought. Because we would say, it seems to us that it's a contradiction. It seems to us. In other words, God's, way, God's ways will not always make sense to me. Even if you try to view it with your eyes of faith, but here's the fact of the matter. I wish I can say that the couple who gave birth to a child who was, who was born in a completely vegetative state, that this child would grow up and, and maybe a year or two or even 10, 30, 20, 40 years would eventually be able to be independent and grow up and, and be able to uh, move and all that, but that's not how it always is. Or maybe that girl who, who was raped when she was 12, I hope that that will be great if one day she, uh, because of the traumatic experience, she would grow up to spearhead an organization that would combat sexual abuse and, and create hundreds of safe houses for abused children worldwide, but that doesn't always happen. Things like that don't always pan out that way. We wish tragedies would make sense one day in our lives, don't we? That we can say, this happened, but at least this happened. There was a greater good in that. So yeah, we may wait one year, two years, maybe even a decade to get the answer from God as to why it happened the way it did. But we need to know that we might not get that resolution. We might not get that answer. And I'll tell you why. Because our lives is not about figuring out why things happened the way it did. 
Life is about trusting in God who knew why it happened, who allowed it to happen, and yet his goodness and his faithfulness and his holiness remains uncompromised. Why? Because his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. Do you know what God said essentially to Job? When Job was living a righteous life with comfort, relative ease, and he was, blessed. he was blessing God. He was living in a way that, 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 that represented God well, and yet everything was taken from him. And so finally, when it just kind of boiled down to, to the point where he had literally nothing and his friends were giving him stupid advice, and he looked at God and he says, why? And God says, because I'm God. Because he's God. If you need faith, ask the one who gives it. Ask the one who places his own son, his own spirit as the deposit, as the guarantee. You see, faith is not something that you can just build up for yourself. It's not something you can conjure up for yourself. You can't buy it. You can't inherit it from your parents. It's given to us, but faith is also strengthened when we hear the word of God, says in Romans 10. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Look, brothers and sisters, we're going to wrestle with this at some point in our lives, but eventually we're called, to, we're called back to God and recognize that he's God and we're not. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is God and I'm not. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is in control and I'm not. Do you guys believe that? That God is God and I am not. That God is in control even when I am not. And if that frustrates you, it shouldn't. The fact that God is God and he, and he is in control, it should free us. It should free us. And knowing that we don't have to have control over everything in our lives and that when things do seem out of control, God still has it under control. Do you believe that? Amen? Why? Because he is God and nothing escapes him. Third question he asks is this, how long will it last? In verse 17, Habakkuk essentially says, like he as in the Babylonian army, Nebuchadnezzar, he keeps conquering one nation after the other and no one can stop him. Men are like fish and Nebuchadnezzar has like this net and he's just reeling them in at one after the other. When's it going to end? He's just a wheel just going and going and going and conquering and conquering. And that's our thoughts. Those, those, those are our thoughts too. The troubles that you and I face, the debt that we have, we're thinking, when's it going to end? Will no one stop Babylon? Will terror reign forever? When will it end? Man, doesn't Habakkuk really just speak to your heart? Don't we feel like our prayers are sometimes going unanswered? Don't we feel like our troubles have no end in sight? So what then? What do we do? Though some questions may not be answered on this side of heaven, we do have a response to give, and that's what, his, that's what Habakkuk did. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and, and station myself on the tower, look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Sometimes God says this, wait. He says, wait. But as you wait, he says to trust and be in faith. 
Remember, Habakkuk, he still didn't understand how God can use the wicked Babylonians to judge Judah for her sins. It still doesn't make any sense to him. But Habakkuk responded in faith, not because he needed to know how things would turn out, but because he knew who God was. Do you know who God is? See, I, I, I feel like I, can, I know who Joe and Jesse are. And if someone would ever say, oh, I caught Jesse at that bar and he was doing just ridiculous things, I would say, I think you got someone else. Jesse doesn't do that. Right, Jesse? <laughs> See, when you, when you know who God is, you know how he works. And you know how he completes and fulfills his promises. You see, in verse 4, chapter 2, the righteous shall live by faith. It's understanding that everything about who God is and what he plans to do, man, that he does it better. He's got something better for us. God's ways are better. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's ways are better. His heart for you is better. His heart for other people is better. His thoughts are better. His plans for your life is better too. When we pray and we don't get the answer we're looking for, we can try to bargain, but that doesn't really work. We can get angry, but that really doesn't work. We can ask questions like Habakkuk did, but he didn't really get it all answered. Or we can go back to the first principle of our spiritual lives and remind ourselves of who God is, and that's what Habakkuk eventually did. Like God is God and I am not. And friends, as we reflect on who God is, I hope that you will reflect upon your own hearts. Isn't it ironic that Habakkuk was upset at God for bringing a greater wickedness to judge those who are already acting in wickedness? What possible authority did Habakkuk have to question God's judgment and his method of discipline? It's like Jonah saying, no God, I will not go to Nineveh. Those people are wicked. Aren't we all wicked? Who does he say to God, you can't do that? Because here's the truth. If God really wanted to act in justice, he would have not only destroyed the Babylonians who were wicked, but he would have destroyed Judah and Habakkuk. Who can stand blameless before a holy God? Not one, not even God's greatest prophets. And so the prophetic words of Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith, only highlights this, that we need righteousness. And that righteousness can only be received when you approach the cross in faith. Faith in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're questioning the rampant sins around the world, and yet we neglect to recognize our own, Christ died for us. While we cry out to God that life is not fair, it's not fair, Lord. How come that person's life is, is, is easier? How come, how come that injustice is happening over there? Here's the thing. If you really want true fairness, it will condemn us all. But because of his grace, thank the Lord. Because of his mercy, praise the Lord. He gives us salvation because of the work of Christ. 
You know, when I think of Habakkuk and of the table of faith I desire to set before others, I see one that trusts in the unchanging character of God, but one that also recognizes our own sins and our need for God's grace. I pray and hope that you would also extend grace to others, but in your trials, as you meet with one another, as you do life together, that you would always trust in who God is, even when things don't seem to make any sense. Because God is God. And it takes faith to know that. Amen? Let's pray. And we're going to go into our communion time. And so, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper here, You see the table that he's provided, that he has set before us. It's a table that says that you, all who are weary, all who are in sin, all who need me, you can come, you see. Yes, it is only by Christ we can know and meet God is exclusive, but it is also quite inclusive in that he invites all says, come to me. And if you're struggling, pray for faith. The Lord's Supper is a time where we examine our own hearts. And I believe that's the application of our sermon too. That before we say, but God, but God, but God, this or that needs to change, we need to look at our own, own hearts, at our own sinfulness, and say, God, I need to change. My wretched heart needs to change. Oh, Lord, would you come and create in me a new, clean heart. Clean me as white with hyssop. May your blood of Christ cleanse me, oh, Lord, Father. Renew my spirit. Examine your heart, brothers and sisters. If you are one who professes in the lordship of Jesus Christ and none other, like Christ, he died for you and he rose from the grave for you. Then you can take and join us but before we get there, the Lord says, make it right. If there's a sin that's been, that you've been harboring, he says, repent of it, and I'll forgive you. If there's a brokenness in a friendship, relationship that's hindering your spiritual growth and your witness, then make sure that afterwards you go and you speak to that person and you extend love and understanding and compassion and grace. If there's an idol in your life, whatever it might be, maybe just reliance on your work rather than the work of Christ, give that up to the Lord. You can't go to heaven that way. But express thankfulness. Thankfulness combined with godly sorrow that it was because of our sins that led Christ to the cross. But by his mercy and grace, 
He says, I love you and I forgive you. So let's take a couple minutes to pray and then we'll go into our communion. Let's pray. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, that is your greatest promise. It's not of a comfortable, carefree, easygoing life here, but no, there will come an end. And that end will really be the beginning. A beginning to an eternal life with you. Where all tears will be wiped away. Where all evil and wickedness will be vanquished. Lord, you, your justice will come. And those who cried out to you as your children, Father, like a mother hen, you will draw us under your wings. For you are our refuge. You will protect us. And you will lead us. And this Lord's Supper signifies more than the death, but also the resurrection. For in your death, Lord, you satisfied the wrath of a holy God that, that we have incurred. But Lord, through your resurrection, you have given us the hope of everlasting life. And we thank you. And therefore, we do this to worship you, to remember all that you've done and continue to do for your children, for us. And we thank you so much. God, I pray now you would lead us, and that you would increase the faith in our lives to trust you. That no matter what happens, because we know who you are, Lord, that we will stand firm upon the foundation that is Christ. We thank you and we love you. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Please join me.